Section 9 of Early Kings of Norway. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Early Kings of Norway by Thomas Carlyle. Section 9. Chapters 12 and 13. Chapter 12. Olaf the Tranquil, Magnus Barefoot, and Sigurd the Crusader. The new King Olaf, his brother Magnus having soon died, bore rule in Norway for some five-and-twenty years. Rule soft and gentle, not like his father's, and inclining rather to improvement in the arts and elegancies than to anything severe or dangerously laborious. A slim-built, witty-talking, popular and pretty man, with uncommonly bright eyes, and hair like floss silk, they called him Olaf Kier, the tranquil or easy-going. The ceremonials of the palace were much improved by him. Palace still continued to be built of huge logs pyramidically sloping upwards, with fireplace in the middle of the floor, and no egress for smoke or ingress for light except overhead, which in bad weather you could shut, or all but shut, with a lid. Lid originally made of mere opaque board, but changed latterly into a light frame, covered, glazed, so to speak, with entrails of animals, clarified into something of pellucidity. All this, Olaf, I hope, further perfected, as he did the placing of the court ladies, court officials, and the like, but I doubt if the luxury of a glass window were ever known to him, or a cup to drink from that was not made of metal or horn. In fact, it is chiefly for his son's sake I mention him here, and with the son, too, I have little real concern, but only a kind of fantastic. This son bears the name of Magnus Barfoot, barefoot or bare-leg, and if you ask why so, the answer is, he was used to appear in the streets of Nidaros, Trondheim, now and then in complete Scotch Highland dress, authentic tartan plaid and filibeg, at that epoch, to the wonder of Trondheim and us. The truth is, he had a mighty fancy for those Hebrides and other Scotch possessions of his, and seeing England now quite impossible, eagerly speculated on some conquest in Ireland as next best. He did, in fact, go diligently voyaging and inspecting among those Orkney and Hebridean isles, putting everything straight there, appointing stringent authorities, jarls, nay, a king, kingdom of the Suderor, southern isles, now called Sodor, and, as first king, Sigurd, his pretty little boy of nine years. All which done, and some quarrel with Sweden fought out, he seriously applied himself to visiting in a more emphatic manner, namely, to invading, with his best skill and strength, the considerable virtual or actual kingdom he had in Ireland, intending fully to enlarge it to the utmost limits of the island, if possible. He got prosperously into Dublin, guess A.D. 1102, considerable authority he already had, even among those poor Irish kings, or kinglets, in their glibs and yellow saffron gowns, still more, I suppose, among the numerous Norse principalities there. King Murdoch, King of Ireland, says the Chronicle of Man, had obliged himself, every Yule day, to take a pair of shoes, hang them over his shoulder, as your servant does on a journey, and walk across his court, at bidding and in presence of Magnus Barefoot's messenger, by way of homage to the said king. Murdoch, on this greater occasion, did whatever homage could be required of him, but that, though comfortable, was far from satisfying the great king's ambitious mind. The great king left Murdoch, left his own Dublin, 
marched off westward on a general conquest of Ireland. Marched easily victorious for a time, and got, some say, into the wilds of Connaught, but there saw himself beset by ambuscades and wild Irish countenances intent on mischief, and had, on the sudden, to draw up for battle, place, I regret to say, altogether undiscoverable to me, known only that it was boggy in the extreme. Certain enough, too certain and evident, Magnus Barefoot, searching eagerly, could find no firm footing there, nor, fighting furiously up to the knees or deeper, any result but honourable death. Date is confidently marked, 24th August, 1103, as if people knew the very day of the month. The natives did humanely give King Magnus Christian burial. The remnants of his force, without further molestation, found their ships on the coast of Ulster, and sailed home, without conquest of Ireland, nay, perhaps, leaving Royal Murdoch disposed to be relieved of his procession with the pair of shoes. Magnus Barefoot left three sons, all kings at once, reigning peaceably together. But to us at present the only noteworthy one of them was Sigurd, who, finding nothing special to do at home, left his brothers to manage for him, and went off on a far voyage, which has rendered him distinguishable in the crowd. Voyage through the Straits of Gibraltar, on to Jerusalem, thence to Constantinople, and so home through Russia, shining with such renown as filled all Norway for the time being. A king called Sigurd Jorosvar, Jerusalemer, or Sigurd the Crusader, henceforth. His voyage had been only partially of the Viking type. In general it was of the royal progress kind, rather, Vikingism only intervening in cases of incivility or the like. His reception in the courts of Portugal, Spain, Sicily, and Italy, had been honourable and sumptuous. The king of Jerusalem broke out into utmost splendour and effusion at sight of such a pilgrim, and Constantinople did its highest honours to such a prince of Veringers. And the truth is, Sigurd intrinsically was a wise, able, and prudent man, who, surviving both his brothers, reigned a good while alone in a solid and successful way. He shows features of an original, independent-thinking man, something of ruggedly strong, sincere, and honest, with peculiarities that are amiable and even pathetic in the character and temperament of him, as, certainly, the course of life he took was of his own choosing, and peculiar enough. He happens, furthermore, to be, what he least of all could have chosen or expected, the last of the Harfager genealogy that had any success, or much deserved any, in this world. The last of the Harfagers, or as good as the last, so that, singular to say, it is in reality, for one thing only, that Sigurd, after all his crusadings and wonderful adventures, is memorable to us here. The advent of an Irish gentleman called Gilchrist, Gilchrist, servant of Christ, who, not over-welcome, I should think, but unconsciously big with the above result, appeared in Norway, while King Sigurd was supreme. Let us explain a little. This Gilchrist, the unconsciously fatal individual, who spoke Norse imperfectly, declared himself to be the natural son of Willem Magnus Barefoot, born to him there while engaged in that unfortunate conquest of Ireland. "'Here is my mother come with me,' said Gilchrist, who declares my real baptismal name to have been Harold, given me by that great king, and who will carry the red-hot ploughshares, or do any reasonable ordeal in testimony of these facts. I am King Sigurd's veritable half-brother. What will King Sigurd think it fair to do with me?' Sigurd clearly seems to have believed the man was speaking the truth, 
and indeed nobody to have doubted but he was sigurd said honorable sustenance shalt thou have from me here but under pain of extirpation swear that neither in my time nor in that of my young son magnus wilt thou ever claim any share in this government gil swore and punctually kept his promise during sigurd's reign but during magnus's he conspicuously broke it and in result through many reigns and during three or four generations afterwards produced unspeakable contentions massacrings confusions in the country he had adopted there are reckoned from the time of sigurd's death a d eleven thirty about a hundred years of civil war no king allowed to distinguish himself by a solid reign of well-doing or by any continuing reign at all sometimes as many as four kings simultaneously fighting and in norway from sire to son nothing but sanguinary anarchy disaster and bewilderment a country seeking steadily as if towards absolute ruin of all of which frightful misery and discord irish gill styled afterwards king harold gill was by ill destiny and otherwise the visible origin an illegitimate irish harfagger who proved to be his own destruction and that of the harfagger kindred altogether sigurd himself seems always to have rather favoured gill who was a cheerful shrewd patient witty and effective fellow and had at first much quizzing to endure from the younger kind on account of his irish way of speaking norse and for other reasons one evening for example while the drink was going round gill mentioned that the irish had a wonderful talent of swift running and that there were among them people who could keep up with the swiftest horse at which especially from young magnus there were peals of laughter and a declaration from the latter that gill and he would have tried it to-morrow morning gill in vain urged that he had not himself professed to be so swift a runner as to keep up with the prince's horses but only that there were men in ireland who could magnus was positive and early next morning gill had to be on the ground and the race naturally under heavy bet actually went off gill started parallel to magnus's stirrup ran like a very row and was clearly ahead at the goal unfair said magnus thou must have had a hold of my stirrup-leather and helped thyself along we must try it again gill ran behind the horse this second time and then at the end sprang forward and again was fairly in ahead thou must have held by the tail said magnus not by fair running was this possible we must try a third time gill started ahead of magnus and his horse this third time kept ahead with increasing distance magnus galloping his very best and reached the goal more palpably foremost than ever so that magnus had to pay his bet and other damage and humiliation and got from his father who heard of it soon afterwards scoffing rebuke as a silly fellow who did not know the worth of men but only the clothes and rank of them and well deserved what he had got from gill all the time king sigurd lived gill seems to have had good recognition and protection from that famous man and indeed to have gained favor all around by his quiet social demeanor and the qualities he showed chapter thirteen magnus the blind harold gill and mutual extinction of the harfoggers on sigurd the crusader's death magnus naturally came to the throne gill keeping silence and a cheerful face for the time but it was not long till claim arose on gill's part till war and fight arose between magnus and him till the skilful popular ever active and shifty gill had entirely beaten magnus put out his eyes mutilated the poor body of him in a horrible and unnamed manner 
and shut him up in a convent as out of the game henceforth. There, in his dark misery, Magnus lived now as a monk, called Magnus the Blind by those Norse populations, King Harold Gill reigning victoriously in his stead. But this also was only for a time. There arose avenging kinsfolk of Magnus, who had no Irish accent in their Norse, and were themselves eager enough to bear rule in their native country. By one of these, a terribly strong-handed, fighting, violent, and regardless fellow, who was also a bastard of Magnus Barefoot's, and had been made a priest, but liked it unbearably ill, and had broken loose from it into the wildest courses at home and abroad, so that his current name got to be Slemmy Deacon, or Slim and Ill Deacon, under which he is much noised of in Snorro and the Sagas. By this Slim Deacon, Gil was put an end to, murdered by night, drunk in his sleep, and poor blind Magnus was brought out, and again set to act as king, or king's cloak, in hopes Gill's posterity would never rise to victory more. But Gill's posterity did, to victory and also to defeat, and were the death of Magnus and of Slim Deacon too, in a frightful way, and all got their own death by and by in a ditto. In brief, these two kindreds, reckoned to be authentic enough, Harfager people, both kinds of them, proved now to have become a veritable crop of dragon's teeth, who mutually fought, plotted, struggled, as if it had been their life's business, never ended fighting, and seldom long intermitted it, till they had exterminated one another, and did at last all rest in death. One of these later Gill temporary kings I remember by the name of Harold Herdbred, Harold of the Broad Shoulders. The very last of them, I think, was Harold Mund, Harold of the Rymouth, who gave rise to two impostors, pretending to be sons of his, a good while after the poor Rymouth itself and all its troublesome belongings were quietly underground. What Norway suffered during that sad century may be imagined. End of section 9. Early Kings of Norway. Chapters 12 and 13.